Well, hello everybody. This is Hal, and not Melanie this time. I want to welcome you to another episode of Making Biblical Family Life Practical. This was something we kind of put together while Melanie was still suffering from laryngitis. Now, thankfully, she's recovering, pretty much recovered, as we mentioned on the previous episode, and so we're thankful for that. But I put together some notes of something that recently I'd been discussing with some friends at church, and Melanie said, you know, this is really this is really your perspective. This is something maybe if you want to go ahead and record this, uh, we'll just do that. And so this is a solo recording. You could kind of pair it up with Melanie's solo episode a, a couple of weeks ago when she was off distant and taking care of her, her mother, who is, by the way, recovering from her surgery. It's not a fast thing, but she's uh, making good progress. And uh, Melanie is back at home with the rest of us now, which is uh, a helpful thing here at home base. But any rate, if you Keep that in mind. If if the Lord brings her back to mind, I'm sure uh, she would appreciate your prayers. So anyway, I was sitting at church a couple of weeks ago, and a, just a word: our church is it's got a few distinctives. One of them is that we have lunch at church every single Sunday. It's something that we've just done because we figure that it it kind of helps build the life of the of the body. You know that it's something where the families are spending time together. You know, not sitting in the pew listening to sermons or singing hymns, but just interacting together. And I think it really does build a good family relationship within the church body. So at any rate, we're sitting around at, at lunch on Sunday. I'm sitting with uh, three or four of my, my dad friends, you know, uh, we're all fathers. We all got fairly large families and the conversation somewhere along the line, we got to talking about things that our kids have done that just left us shaking our head. And you know the kind of thing. If you've got kids, particularly if your kids are are out of diapers and are self-mobile and are have reasonable levels of curiosity, we've all experienced this. There was a cartoon in the old Calvin and Hobbes series that uh, that I have always treasured. Calvin is in the living room by himself and he's driving nails into the top of the coffee table, and his mother comes in and just loses it, and she says. What in the world are you doing? And he looks up and blinks, and it's like the little thought bubble over his head is a you know little pop kind of thing. And he looks at her and says, "Is this a trick question or what?" You know, we've all encountered that with our kids. You know, you think, "Why did you think that was a good idea to start writing on the wall in the hallway?" Or did it ever occur to you that what you just did was not going to turn out in any way as something good? You know, is there any positive outcome that you can imagine for what you were just trying to do? And you you see that same blank expression like, no, I really, you know, I guess you're right. Whoa, wow. And so the conversation was, you know, we're, we're laughing about these things. And uh, one of the fathers said, you know, I just wonder, do we need to really, do we just need to teach our kids to think? And he didn't mean, you know, the the critical thinking skills and the Socratic logic and this kind of, he was talking about just being aware, just having a little bit of forethought, just having a, a second of, of evaluation, is this a good idea or not? Do we really need to teach them that? Because obviously our kids naturally don't seem to exhibit this, at least not at younger ages. And so I thought it was a good question and put a little bit of thought into it. We had some more discussion, but, you know, really, truly, that is a pretty common thing, isn't it? That people are, 
we have this wonderful gift of intellect that God has given us. I mean, humanity is just incredibly blessed. The the um, the exceptionalism of of humanity, I think, is is a wonderful thing. Um, and and yet at the same time, with all of our intellectual gifts and our reasoning ability, how often do we just kind of stumble through life and don't think? We don't reflect. We don't um, anticipate sometimes, and things continually happen that we say, "Oh, that was stupid." But you know, why couldn't we avoid these problems? Why couldn't we have at least said, "You know what? Uh, rather than stepping over that, maybe I should pick it up." You know that kind of logic. And you know, it's not just our kids. Our kids are just kind of ourselves writ large. Have you ever felt that way? I remember. I remember with our first child. So often when it, you know when he was a baby, and I was thinking, you know what, I know exactly how he feels, and I have learned not to squall and kick my feet and and to fuss like that, but I know precisely what he's feeling, and I just express it differently. You know, he doesn't have a filter. He hasn't been trained. He can't he can't hide it. Well, you know, at the same time, sometimes our kids are just exhibiting their moms or their dads thoughtlessness, stupidness, um, inattentiveness, however you want to describe it. And when I say thoughtless, I don't mean the word often thoughtless. We think a person who's so self-centered that they have no perception of another person's cares and they're just awful people. And I don't mean that. I mean the lack of thinking, the thoughtlessness that doesn't you know, is not aware of the surroundings or the situation and stumbles into things. That's a common thing. Um, so, you know, is this something that we need to teach? Well, I think that just uh, experience in nature would suggest that it's something that ought to be taught. Now, whether we have to, whether it's something that they can stumble along and, and bang into things often enough that maybe the light will begin to dawn. Um, but then, you know, the nice thing about parenting and discipleship and teaching is that you can you can shortcut that developmental process. You don't have to say, uh, you know, go out and invent the wheel yourself. No, let me show you. This is a wheel. Now, let's. what can we do with a wheel? Well, by the same token, maybe eventually they'll have enough hard knocks that they'll learn some sense, if you will. But why not share wisdom with them when they're young so they can build on wisdom rather than having to reinvent all of this along the way? So, yeah, I, I, would, I would make the the case that it's a good thing to think about with your kids, not just for their own good, but for your own peace of mind. There was a cartoon that um, I see online sometimes uh, that I, w- I won't mention the name because, frankly, some of the language is regrettable. Um, the The humor is fun, but occasionally there's there's some language issues, and I just don't want to you know promote that or offend anyone. But there they have a cartoon. It's like a one panel where the child is sent to look for something and the child walks into a room which is basically an empty box. There's nothing, literally nothing in this cube except like a playground ball, you know, a big green ball in the middle of the room. Nothing else, no carpet, no windows, no furniture. Nothing is in the room except this green ball in the center. And the child walks in and stares around the room about 12 inches above the surface of the top of this ball and says, I don't see it. It's not here. There's nothing here. 
And I, you know, I I read that and I just shake my head, saying, "Yes, that is our experience." Um, we send a child to get something. We say, "I want you to get me my pick something." Your car keys usually have a place they live, but let's say you left a tool upstairs where you were fixing the sink in the bathroom. Say, "Look, would you go get my pliers? They're on the sink in our bathroom." And they trot off. Um, and then they come back an unconscious, an unconscionably loud, uh, long time later. They come back a, an incredibly long time afterwards with their hands empty. And they say, it's not there. I couldn't find it. I didn't see it at all. You know, what do you do in that situation? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll come back to that because that's a common thing. And you know good and well it's there. And when you walk upstairs, it is exactly there. And you think, did this child even go into the same bathroom that I was describing? Well, you know, maybe they didn't. Maybe they got lost along the way. That happens. But um, at any rate, well, let's um, let's save that for a little bit. Now, there are some things. Everything, you know, comes back to biblical examples. And I think that we do need to be thoughtful. We do need to reflect on things. You know, the Apostle Paul said in the second letter to the Corinthians, you should examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. You know, the the Greek philosopher said that the unexamined life is not worth living. I disagree. You know, life is a gift from God, and it's worth living whether you examine it or not. But Paul says right here, we should examine ourselves. And... In all four of the Gospels, now that should be like a a highlighter stroke right there. Something appears and is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them. That must mean something significant. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah against the people, saying that seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. That same passage shows up in the book of Acts. It shows up in the letter to the Romans. You know, Jesus is talking about spiritual blindness, okay? He's talking about people that you can give them the truth of God and it just bounces off their heads because their hearts are darkened. You know, it says in Romans that their their foolish hearts are darkened and they don't even hear it. it it's spiritually discerned and the natural man cannot receive it. But, you know, there's a physical blindness. There's a there's a blindness in the uh, in the tangible world as well as the spiritual. Gosh, here's here's one that gets after me. You know, this one that really bugs me. You send the kids up to clean their room, and what do they do when they start cleaning the room? Mine seem to invariably go to the farthest corner from the door, and they start cleaning in the farthest corner of the room. And anything that needs to go downstairs, laundry or uh, books that need to go back in the bookshelf, whatever, they pile it up in the doorway, I guess because they're thinking that way when I get ready to leave the room, it'll be right there. You know, what happens is if they don't finish, you end up with a very clean corner 15 feet away from the door, and yet there is a mountain, a huge speed bump of everything in the world right in the doorway that you have to step over to even get in there to go to bed. Why? Okay, that's an example of this kind of thing. Um, another one that we see sometimes is we send a child out to put a, something in our van. Okay, we travel a lot. We have a trailer that we pull for a lot of things, but there's other stuff that needs to go into the van. And we'll say, hey, would you go put this in the van for me so we don't forget it on the way to church or whatever it is. And when I come out to the van, where do I find it? I find it sitting in the driver's seat or in the one space where we always set the briefcase with the computer in it 
that that's like a reserved space. Why would you put something right there? You know, it's not like you've never been in the van with us. It's not like you've never seen somebody drive a vehicle. What in your mind made you think, I know, I'll put it right there in the driver's seat? Well, okay, so there is this striking a chord with you? Are you are you feeling it? <laughs> okay, this is a real thing. And we have wonderful kids. We have grown adult sons right now and three kids still at home. But, you know, we love our kids. We're proud of our kids. They are smart. There's all, you know, I can brag about them for an hour. But the fact is they're real. They're human beings just like mom and dad. Unfortunately, they inherit not just our uh, our hair and our eye color. They also inherit some of our quirks and some of our failings. And that's part of part of how God helps us to grow in grace as we help our children navigate the same issues that we have trouble with ourselves. Isn't that ooh, isn't that something that's just like sanctifying all over, right? So how are we going to deal with these kind of things? If we're going to teach our kids to be more thoughtful, more uh, more careful, more um, considered in their actions and their thoughts and whatnot, how are we going to approach that? Well, let's talk about that after the break. I want to say right here, we are pleased and we are proud to have sponsorship from a really special movie that's coming out this Thanksgiving. So I want to encourage you. Let's hear from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Hello, neighbor. This Thanksgiving. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Please, won't you be my neighbor? It only takes one person. We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah? Like what? To inspire a world of kindness. There are many things you can do. Based on the true story of the friendship between Mr. Rogers and a cynical journalist. You love broken people like me. Sometimes we have to ask for help, and that's okay. Starring Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know that each one of them is precious. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters November 22nd. For tickets and showtimes, go to resources.abeautifulday.movie. Okay, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. This is Making Biblical Family Life Practical. I'm Hal Young, and my beautiful wife, Melanie, is not with me on this episode, but I'm talking off the top of my own experience and head and the rest of that, so glad you're sticking with me. Um, so anyway, we're talking about, you know, what do you have to teach your kids just to think, to be aware, to be present in the moment? You know, that does remind me of one thing that I've had to learn myself, and this is not something that I learned a long, long time ago, and that is being present in the moment. You know, I work from home, and I spend all day long looking into my laptop. This is my my desktop. This is my communication network. This is my reference library. This is the office to me. And also, when I take a break, this is the movie theater, the music library. This is my entertainment. It's very easy to just spend all day with the nose stuck into the screen and Sometimes I've found if I'm not very careful and very aware of myself, I can end up overlooking my family who is right there present with me. You know, when a child comes up and speaks to me while I'm working, because I'm working from home, 
they can they can talk to me and I can have a conversation with them because ha, ha, you know I'm a I'm a man I I have this fantasy that I can I can multitask isn't that cute No we can't moms are wired to do that they do that wonderfully we men are such linear thinkers we have the gift of focus and we are so focused on whatever we're doing that we can let those children talk to us or our wife talk to us and we can have what sounds like reasonable responses which did not go through the center part of our brain whatsoever. They just were like an outer skin of our brain that answered on our behalf. We need to be very cautious about that. You know, we need to be aware of people that are there in real life, IRL. And when our child speaks to us, when our mate speaks to us, um, in any of those situations, to break off for a minute, make eye contact and say, yes, dear family member who is right here at arm's length from me, what?" can I do for you? Really connect with them. That's that's an important thing. And I think we dads in particular really drop the ball way too often on that. Okay, but we were talking about teaching your kids to think. Let me give you another clue here. Some of these things are big help to us too. Because, you know, I have found myself in many situations, I think we all have, when you're driving along a familiar route, you're on the way to you're on your daily commute to work or you're making a run to the errand that you do 12 times a week. And have you ever like suddenly a light opens up in your head and you say, you know what, you've been driving for 15 minutes and you haven't seen a thing around you. You know, you think back and I can't remember anything from the last 10 miles. That's a little scary, isn't it? And yet, don't we do it all the time? We we go on muscle memory. We, we have the monitoring systems turned on and we're kind of on autopilot and our brain is somewhere Maybe it shouldn't be right at the moment. So when we think about these these tools, these skills, these tricks or hacks to help our kids to be more effective in their thinking, some of these are useful for us too. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, all right, well, we talked about cleaning. You know, I was just thinking about this the other day because Thanksgiving's coming, family's coming. We got a lot of cleaning to do. Um, one thing we found out, we didn't know this starting out, but when you, when you take a, a normal family home, and you have an extra large family that puts a load on that home. And when you run a, an exclusive private Christian school inside that home, that's what homeschooling is, you know, for us. We have a we have a private school right here. That takes a toll on the household. And then let's let's open a business. Not just a not just a business, but like one that does manufacturing and assembling and shipping and logistics and all this. It's a busy house, and so when we have company coming up, it's a uh, um, yeah. This is something we need to rearrange some furniture. We need to reallocate some space and uh, get things back into a little bit more of the conventional type of uh, home arrangement. Not so much the home as home as dormitory and uh, as business place and ministry center and schoolroom. Okay, so we're we're looking at this cleaning and. You know, we have this tendency, our kids do it, we guys do it. You know, we say, the wife looks at us up from her bed of sickness when she's got the flu and she said, could you just clean the kitchen? You say, sure, dear, I'm going to serve you. And you run down to clean the kitchen. And, you know, what gets our attention sometimes is not the sink full of dirty dishes. It's that junk drawer that's got all those old coupons in it. It's got all those, like, like loose keys and stuff. And you're going to clean that out and make it organized and... And a swell, that's a good thing. But, you know, it did not help the situation in the in the kitchen at all, did it? Really and truly? No, it didn't. Well, I learned a tool back when I was working in industry called Pareto analysis. Now, Pareto was an Italian, 
I can't recall if he was an economist or an industrial engineer, somebody in that area. But at any rate, the basic, the basic tool. Now, if you're doing this in a manufacturing environment, there's mathematical tools and there's formulas and there's a whole, you know, you can do this whole technical thing. But the principle is very simple. And that is, if you've got five things that need attention, they may be five things that are causing a problem or five potential causes or just five things that need to be done. Look at those. Do triage, as the military people, or as the, the medical folks say. Do a triage and say, what is the most important thing on this list? Or what is going to have the biggest impact first? So like you walk into, the, you walk into your children's room and the room, is, the room is a mess, but you notice that the first thing you see coming in is it looks like the chest of drawers has exploded into the floor. And the floor is full of laundry mixed. It's, it's clean, it's dirty, it's folded, it's unfolded. And, and that is that seems to be like half of the mess. Now, yeah, there's too many books on the bedside table or somebody left a, a glass and a plate over there next to their lamp or something. You see other things that need attention. But think, if I have 10 minutes, if I have a half hour, what's going to make the biggest difference? We're going to rank them that way. That's what a Pareto analysis does. And so... You might say, okay, the things can make the biggest difference here is get all these clothes sorted, send them to the washer, put them in the drawer, wherever they go, but get them out of the floor. That will make a big difference right away. And and teach them to look for the thing with the biggest impact and to address that first, okay? So that's one thing you can do. Here's another thing, too. Sometimes we just need help breaking down a task. And I saw this a lot when I was working as an engineer. When there was a problem out on the manufacturing line and the operators and supervisors would sometimes sort of panic and they would go and start changing controls on the machine just like willy-nilly thinking maybe I'll hit it lucky maybe I'll hit it right but really if if you look at a big task and say I need to do one thing first let me just focus on getting one thing and getting it done right and then I'll go to the next thing so you may need to do that with your kids to say look I know you need to clean your room all right let's get the clothes up first all right when you're done with the clothes then let's get all the books back on the shelves. And when you're done with the books, then let's take these dishes back downstairs where they belong. And, you know, just give them a bit-by-bit, piecewise type of thing that they can do. Help them organize a task, okay? That's an important thing. You know, another thing, too, I remember reading a book when I was in high school. I think the title was Brass Pounder, if I'm not mistaken. That's an old term for a, a, a railroad telegraph operator. Okay. Back in the days before telephones, the railroads depended on telegraph operators every few miles down the, down the line. They had little stations out in the country where nobody ever stopped there, but they needed a telegraph operator there to pass messages to trains as they passed by or to set signals. So this young man got a job working as a, as a telegraph operator, and he sent a message up to his boss that, oh, one of the, um, one of the signal lamps is out. I need to get some, uh, some green lenses for these indicators. So the crate came, he pries the top off, digs through the Excelsior, and he pulls out these blue lenses. They're blue. They're clearly blue. They're not green at all. And he thought, okay, I, you know, I need to send these back. But then previous experience told him, wait a minute, don't respond quite yet. So he got one of the lanterns that he was going to be replacing, put this blue lens in the lantern, lit the wick on the inside, and you know what? That yellow kerosene flame behind a blue lens gave a nice green aspect to that lantern. He tried it before he complained. That's an important lesson to get to your kids to say, if I give you a job to do and you walk in the room and say, oh, that's too hard, and you don't even try it, 
Give it a try first because you may be surprised. Your limited experience may be tricking you out. That's a good thing to teach our kids. Here's another thing that's helpful. Teach them some troubleshooting skills. Now, what do I mean like that? Um, I saw this sometimes working in manufacturing plants, especially with younger technicians, because if, let's say, a manufacturing machine is running along and it suddenly stops for some reason, the younger guys would tend to run back to the shop, get the laptop computer, plug it into the control system, and try to debug the program. But you know what? The program, once the machine was up and running, the program was very rarely the problem. What was usually the problem is you lost power somewhere, you blew a fuse, a relay didn't open or didn't close properly. There's something out there, and the older technicians would go out, and they would like start at the beginning. Okay, before this machine runs, there has to be power. Is there power? Okay, power's here. Air pressure is here. The feed water is running. Okay, so all of that on the very first start is working properly. And then they would go through step by step. You didn't have to know everything, but you knew that if there's no power, it's not going to work. All right, if the power's working, then does the switch work? Is the switch in the right position? Did you get power when you turn the switch on? Is there power on the other side of the switch? And you could step through bit by bit like that without knowing everything in the system. Because oftentimes it is something as simple as the breaker has tripped or there's something jamming it so it won't move. Or maybe, here's a good example, you send your child to go look for something. Hey, I, I left my glasses on the bedside table. Would you go upstairs and get them for me? And they go upstairs and they're not on the bedside table and they come back down. Well, you know what? You can train them. You say, you know what? If I tell you it's on the bedside table and you don't see it, before you come tell me that it's that it's not there, ask yourself, what could have happened? Could it be that maybe dad put it on the bedside table, but sometime during the night they got knocked off? Why did I look on the floor? You know, because that's where you typically would find it, right? Something happened that moved it from the place it should have been, but it didn't walk away. It's right there. You know, it might have fallen down. Maybe something fell on top of it. That's something to teach your kids too. You know, and so we need to encourage them in this, not to play gotcha, I mean, not to berate them or belittle them, uh, but you want them to start to think, how do I solve a problem? That's one thing that I did learn as an engineer is that there's a million people who will tell you what the problem is. What they hired me to do was to fix it. Yeah, find the problem. That's good. Tell me what the problem is. That's great. What are you going to do to fix it? That's where you make your money. And we want our kids to be problem solvers, not just problem finders. Anybody can find a problem. Okay. Um, let's think if there's anything else on here. Uh, let's see. Troubleshooting skills. We talked about Pareto analysis. We talked about, you know, finding things. Melanie had to teach me this because, like my mother, Melanie is the person who knows where things are. And <laughs> she'll say, oh, the, the book you're looking for is in this location or the thing I need you to bring down is in this pocket of my briefcase or whatever. And oftentimes I would go look for it and I'm just as bad as the kids. I'd look for it and even if I looked around a little bit, still I wouldn't find it and I'd come back and tell her. And she often told me kind of chidingly for a time, you know, if you if you don't believe you're going to find it, the likelihood is you won't. I had a case of that just this morning. We bought some coffee the other weekend, and uh, uh, I was looking around the cabinets and couldn't find the new can. And I'd gone out to the van in case maybe it didn't come in with the rest of the groceries, and I looked around for the coffee, and it wasn't out in the van. So I was really scratching my head. And I asked my children this morning, the ones that had brought in the groceries, where did that coffee go? 
One of them said, let me go look in the van. Well, she brought it back because she remembered that coffee was in a grocery bag pretty much by itself. And you know what? I had gone out. If I had brought the groceries out of the van, I probably would not have put that can in a bag. I probably would have had the can loose. And so I walked out to the van and I looked around for a can of coffee. I wasn't looking for a grocery bag. And that's my fault. That was my failure. But to to teach your kids to say, look, if mom says a thing is someplace, or if I say a thing is someplace, give us the benefit of the doubt. Don't, don't go up there convinced that we're wrong, unless you really have evidence. But instead, go give it an honest try. Try to imagine finding it. Try to imagine that you will find it, that it's going to be there, it's going to be nearby, it's not going to be hidden, it won't have been stolen or walked away or anything else. If you believe that it's there, the likelihood is, if it's there, you're more likely to find it. Okay. Now, if it's not there, all the believing doesn't make a difference. But uh, how often do we find, and that's a question, somebody might ask, well, you know, my child cannot find things, what do you do then? Great question. Well, what I started doing, and I find this is very effective, I'll send a child say, here, would you go get me this, whatever, give them an object, say, I need this, this little box that's on the workbench out in the barn. They go out, they come back, oh, I didn't see it, it's not there. Say, so, you know what, I know it's there because I put it there yesterday. Let's go look together, and then I take them with me, and we walk out there together, and I'll walk into the barn, and I look at the workbench, and I say, oh, what is this? This is a little box. It's right there, you see, to the right of the window, like I told you. There it is. You know, is that a little bit, um, is that teasing them a bit? Yeah, it is, because I do want them to think and to succeed at this, not to just, you know, stumble around and find the nearest excuse and hit the silk and, and jump out. You know, I want them to, to figure out where their problem is and, and be the person who has the solutions. So, yeah, walking them through. And, and that, you know what, this is your opportunity to talk them through, to say, you know what, I remember putting it here. That's why I sent you here. But you know what, what could have happened? Could it have been knocked off? Might it have fallen into a different container? You know, where, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. Do a little bit of detective work and find what happened to that small box. And, and that is a way to teach them. You know what? That's how Jesus trained the disciples. Think about that. When Jesus discipled his disciples, he didn't, he didn't give them a textbook and give them pop quizzes on, on Friday. You know, what he did is he gathered them around. He did his business and explained it to them. You know, he would preach and give, and he'd teach the crowds and he'd turn and say, do you understand this? And he would explain the parables to them or they'd ask him questions and he'd answer. And then after a time, he started saying, okay, now you go out and do it. And when you come back, we'll talk about it. And so he sent them out preaching and, and healing the sick and all. And when they came back, he said, all right, what did you see? How did, you, what was your experience? And they talked it through. And then he said, okay, now go and do likewise. You now go and do this. Okay. And we can do that. That's, that's an approach we tried to take with our own children as they're moving into the adult years in particular to say, bring them along with you, you know, take them with you when you go to pay your property taxes, take them with you when you go to, to uh, pick up your license plate at DMV or whatever, and talk to them about the process so that when they're a little bit older, you can send them, let them go do it. That's what we did with our, 
our son who just went off to college this year. He got his first car. Nice chain of events we won't go into right now, but he needed to get the license plate and registration moved over for himself. Well, you know what? I knew that at his age, he was able to do this. And we had talked about this, and I said, look, you need to go see him at DMV. The license plate bureau is right there inside the building, and this is the documentation you'll need. You know, take your proof of insurance, take your title, you know, take your, your bill of sale and all the rest of that, and you need some ID, and then just go. And it'll cost you about this many dollars, you know, take this much money with you, and uh, give me a call if you need help. And off he went. And you know what? Not a hitch. He got what he needed. He, he handled it perfectly. That is what we want our kids to do. That's what we want our kids to be capable adults when they reach adulthood, and I don't mean 35, okay? So we got to be training them. And you know what? If... If it's a hallmark of an adult that he has a little bit of common sense, a little bit of thought to what's going around him, a little bit of awareness of the situation he finds himself in, then that's what we got to train our kids to do, to be aware, to think things through, to solve problems, to, to trust that there is a solution and they are capable of finding it. That's what we want for our kids. So I hope that's helpful. I mean, I think we all have had this experience and probably have experienced it ourselves, find ourselves doing dumb things, but there's a way. There's a way to get better at this, and I hope that that's encouraging to you. Okay, Look, I do appreciate you joining me here for this episode as we talk about biblical principles in family life, and you know what? So much of family life comes back to the grace of God in understanding how God works in our lives and how to apply scriptures in your daily life and how to draw greater principles from them than just the bare commandments, as important as those are. Look, we appreciate you joining us and hope you'll join us again as we talk about making biblical family life practical. On behalf of Melanie, who's not here, and also myself, I'm Hal, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Making Biblical Family Life Practical with Hal and Melanie Young. If you found this program interesting, challenging, and encouraging, why not join us on the web at howlandmelanie.com. That's H-A-L-A-N-D-M-E-L-A-N-I-E.com. Or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Melanie or Facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening.